Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I am Ben Davison and thank you for joining me once again on what is a cold and wet Sunday afternoon here in regional Victoria. So first and foremost, of course, we have to talk about the COVID outbreak. Uh, there are currently 85 cases in Victoria. Uh, it now looks as though there's been a hotel quarantine breach uh, in Victoria. Uh, this is, of course, the fourth lockdown Victorians have lived through, particularly metropolitan Melbourne. Uh, the good news is that it appears from Deputy Premier James Molino that we are on track to come out of lockdown in uh, the estimated time frame. This is a good sign. Of course, Morrison has now agreed and signed an MOU with the Victorian government to build a purpose-built uh, quarantine facility here in Victoria. It's apparently due to go either in Mickleham or in Avalon. Uh, the Commonwealth will pay for its construction. The Victorians will manage and pay for its running costs. Uh, it's been 18 months, 18 months, more than 18 months since COVID was first reported in Wuhan. Uh, and frankly, Morrison's response every step of the way has been to downplay the issue. Some of us remember that in March of 2020, he, while the rest of the country was wondering what was going to happen next, he was telling everyone that he was going to the football, to the NRL. And of course, it turns out that that was the very start of the pandemic. While the whole rest of the world was starting to talk about wage subsidies and how to protect people's lives and livelihoods, Morrison was refusing to pay for wage subsidies, refusing to do that and telling people to go line up at Centrelink. And of course, when they did, when it became clear that Australian employers had sacked nearly a million people overnight because of the words of the Prime Minister of this country, he backflipped and agreed to the union demands. Just another reason to join your union, folks, our sponsors, Australian Unions, if you want to make real change in the world, if you want to improve this country, we all want to, where do you start? You start by joining your union. If the pandemic's shown us one thing, it's that being in your union is better for you, better for your community and better for this country. So join today at australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W for the week on Wednesday. Join your union today, folks, because we know that Morrison doesn't really have a handle on this situation. Thankfully, the states have mostly managed it pretty well because the government can't even tell us how many aged care workers have been vaccinated. They certainly can't tell us how many homeless Australians have been vaccinated. The fact that there are still homeless Australians is itself a disgrace, in my view. But the Commonwealth government can't tell us how many Homeless Australians have been vaccinated. They can't tell us how many aged care workers have been vaccinated. They seem to be at war with their own departments, saying that they'll make it compulsory for aged care workers and disability support workers, apparently, to be vaccinated, while the department is at the same time issuing advice saying that won't be the case. It is a total shambles. It is a Commonwealth government that doesn't know what it's doing, doesn't understand what it's trying to do, and frankly made worse by the likes of James Campbell, who went on Insiders this morning, the ABC's flagship political discussion show, and argued that he wouldn't have instituted a lockdown in Victoria. Well, thankfully, James Campbell only writes for a Murdoch newspaper, 
and makes the occasional appearance on the national broadcaster and isn't in charge of Victoria's COVID response. Because unlike James Campbell, the medical and scientific experts who are advising the Victorian government did think there should be a lockdown because there are now 85 cases of COVID in Victoria from two different types of strains and they have now got contacts and venues all over the country that need to be investigated. But if James Campbell had had his way or if Scott Morrison's lackadaisical approach had had its way, God knows how many Australians right now would need a ventilator and an ICU, probably more than there are ventilators available. And why do I say that? Not to be alarmist, but because that's exactly the case in countries like India. It's been the case in countries like the United Kingdom, the United States, Brazil, and many, many others. So it is frankly unacceptable and unforgivable for someone with James Campbell's platform to suggest that lockdowns are unnecessary and we should simply let people be infected. The good news on that is, of course, that while there were five new cases in Victoria on Saturday, there were only two on Sunday. And as I say, the Deputy Premier believes that we will be able to come out of this lockdown soon. So we all look forward to that. Please do access the help that's available. If you are a business, do look up the Victorian government's support. Of course, we saw Morrison's ham-fisted small amount of money described by Samantha Maiden in News.com as an attempt to divide and conquer, essentially paying $500 for those in particular hotspots who have lost their job, not lost work, but lost their job. And uh, if you work part-time, that amount is reduced to $350. This is well below, well below minimum wage, let alone average wages. So we start to see the death cult of trickle-down economics reasserting itself within the Morrison government, the influence of the Murdoch media once again reasserting its position over policy. And frankly, folks, we need to make sure that the Morrison government doesn't get away with it, that the state governments are empowered to look after the lives and livelihoods of the Australian people. And we, at the week on Wednesday, will keep an eye on that. Don't you worry. But remember, if you want to see real change, you need to join your union. Subscribe to this podcast, share it with friends, and go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. That's W-O-W for the week on Wednesday to join your union today. Another big piece of news that happened since we last spoke on Wednesday was the Your Future, Your Super Bill passed the lower house. This is a punishment looking for a crime, folks. This is an unbelievably punitive piece of legislation. You know, we've talked about superannuation many times on the week on Wednesday, and we do so because it is one of the world's best retirement systems. Yes, it needs improvement, and yes, there are policy changes that would make it fairer and more effective for everyone, particularly for women and for First Nations Australians. However, however, the changes that your future, your super is putting forward 
don't address any of those issues. Instead, it's attempting to staple 3 million workers to low-performing funds, usually owned by banks or the for-profit sector, so that you will essentially be stuck on a low-performing fund for your entire working life. This may cost you tens of thousands of dollars in retirement. It also seeks to make insurance more difficult and more expensive for workers in high-risk industries. This is an outrageous abandonment of those Australians who do some of our riskiest but most important jobs. It would also establish performance targets and benchmarks. Now, you might think this is a good thing, and personally, I think there should be some form of performance uh, measurement. However, the government's proposal would exclude the worst performers. The for-profit sector worst performers would essentially be given a free pass and be excluded from these benchmarking performance measures. The industry funds, the best performing funds in superannuation, would be more heavily regulated than the for-profit funds. This flies in the face of everything we learned in the Banking Royal Commission and everything we know about the for-profit sector. Super funds, particularly industry super funds, would be treated the same as terrorists and sex offenders with a reverse onus of proof. We live in a country where, quite proudly we say, you're innocent until proven guilty. With a reverse onus of proof, the regulator can say that you're guilty and you must prove your innocence. This is the sort of thing that we put in place for terrorism offences and sex offences, not for the regulation of superannuation. And to top it all off, superannuation funds will have to mount a case to government regulators on every single dollar of expenditure. Now, of course, super funds should be transparent, and they should be transparent to their members about how they spend their funds, and they should be transparent to the general public, of course. However, having the regulator scrutinise why a fund spent $3 on, pen, on a particular pen rather than $2 on a particular pen seems to me to be a gross misuse and a gross waste of members' funds. The additional compliance burdens will be extreme. And for what? And for what? The idea here is clearly to punish industry super. It's to punish the well-performing funds that are jointly run by unions and employer organisations whose members are the workers of Australia. It is to punish them. It is to make them risk-averse. It is to put them back in their box, so to speak. These are punishments looking for a crime. The Banking Royal Commission passed the industry super funds with flying colours. Australia's industry super funds have consistently outperformed, on average, retail funds, for-profit funds. They have consistently delivered more for members. They have consistently had better outcomes overall. They are doing the work on environmental standards, on labour standards, on governance standards. They are doing the things that we want corporate Australia to do, but which corporate Australia refuses to do. And so, of course, the Morrison government is trying to stamp them down is trying to put their foot on the throat of industry super. Now, the legislation passed lower house with some amendments, knocking off some of the elements where the minister would have the right to veto investments, particular investments. This is a government that 
overpays for land, a government that overpays for submarines, a government that overpays consultants, a government that overpays its own members, but which, of course, wants the right to say yes or no to your retirement investments. Now it's off to the Senate, where hopefully they'll also seek to remove many elements of this bill and, frankly, have the government focus on improving superannuation and the retirement system rather than punishing industry super funds for their success, for the success of their members, for the better retirements that working people are getting as a result. One can only hope. My final story for today is around Justin Hems. Now, we spoke about Justin Hems very briefly on the week on Wednesday this week. Justin Hems, of course, is the CEO of Maryvale. He is also the person in charge of Maryvale, the CEO, of course, a company which has been found to have underpaid its workforce by $129 million, $129 million using a bogus workplace agreement. Now, this is an individual who, frankly, has been described as the ultimate playboy of Sydney, who has had fluff pieces written about him in the AFR and the Age, and who, having been found guilty of underpaying $129 million to his workforce, has made the argument that he shouldn't have to repay it, shouldn't have to pay back money which has essentially been stolen from these workers because he has planned to use it to expand his business. To no benefit of the workers from whom he's taken the money, some of whom will no longer be working for Merivale, of course, because it happened over a seven-year period, 2013-2019, he has used that money to buy as many as seven new venues in the last, well, since November 2020. He has spent somewhere between 200 and 120 million on new venues. And there are lots of lovely fluff pieces about how Mr. Hems has expanded the Maryvale empire. Of course, Mr. Hems also has significant connections to the Liberal Party. In 2019, just before the federal election, he held a $3,300 a head fundraiser at his waterfront mansion, some might call it a palace in Sydney, where Michaelia Cash and Scott Morrison both attended, as did a pile of Liberal bigwigs. He was also appointed by the Liberal Treasurer of New South Wales to a business advisory committee. Seems odd to me that someone who has essentially confessed to wage theft, would be appointed to a business advisory committee by any government, but there you have it. And of course, just this year, he was photographed in Parliament House with Michaelia Cash, the resurrected industrial relations minister, on budget night, standing together, having a chat and posing for the cameras. It's interesting to note that Michaelia Cash, while acting industrial relations minister, dropped the wage theft provisions from the industrial relations reform that had been negotiated by Christian Porter, who, of course, had to go on leave uh, once the allegations uh, were made against him, and rightly so. He should be uh, knocked off the ministry uh, as a result of that until an investigation proves otherwise. He really shouldn't be holding the ministry at all, in my view. But nonetheless, Michaelia Cash was acting industrial relations minister when the legislation finally reached the Senate. And Michaelia Cash, despite 
the wage theft provisions, having the support of Labor, the Greens, the Crossbench, COSBOA, which is the Council of Small Business Organisations of Australia, and the ACTU, the ACTU and COSBOA are not organisations that get together on a lot, frankly, but they were very much together on this. McKenna Cash dropped the wage theft provisions at the last minute, struck them out entirely, struck them out entirely. And then a few weeks later, was posing for photos with her friend, Justin Hems. Now, I say friend because based on the fact that they've spent time together in Parliament House, he, she has been to his personal residence in Sydney, and they've clearly had discussions of various types on what, who knows. So in my view, it's fair to say they're friends of a kind. And yet Justin Hems will not pay back $129 million in unpaid wages, in stolen wages. And now, thanks to the Morrison government, that decision will not be considered a crime. So folks, that's the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. I want to thank you all very much for listening in. I want to thank our sponsors, Australian Unions. Remember, Australian Unions achieve so much and together we can achieve so much more. Medicare, superannuation, which we've talked about today, the minimum wage, leave, parental leave, all these things achieved together in union. You can be part of it by going to australianunions.org.au forward slash wow, that's W-O-W for the week on Wednesday. And please do remember to share our podcast. Do remember to subscribe. It's been great to get everybody's feedback. And on Wednesday, I'll be joined again by Van Battam as we look at the big news of the week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And in Victoria, do remember to be kind to yourself and to each other. Bye-bye.